When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who is so beyond excited for next Friday. There is a photo booth in the karaoke room, and it will be amazing. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. (laughs) I'm Vervada, the girl who is also excited for next Friday. But I'm also, also super excited to be back in Dragon Age because this girl, best friend Eileen, wrote letters to me while I was in boot camp, me and my sister both, about this game when it was just about to come out because it came out right at the end of when we were in boot camp and it was amazing. So I can't wait. I'm excited to be back in Dragon Age also because Dragon Age 2, I liked it a lot better than Origins. I know. I know. Shocker. I mean, obviously, I love Origins, but I prefer 2 over Origins, just for pacing and stuff like that. But anyways, (laughs) if you are new here, welcome to the beautiful chaos. But you should know that our podcast centers on characters and romance analysis, and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters using specific in-game dialogue, so if you want to stay spoiler-free, then this isn't the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert to another member of the karaoke crew. And just like with all of our previous episodes, we'll assume you have some background knowledge of the character and game in question, but we'll be providing context for those of you who may be unfamiliar. In today's episode... We are returning to Thetis in the Free Marches, just north of Ferelden. There is the city-state of Kirkwall. It is here that the events of Dragon Age 2 take place, and it is this game that really sets some major lore foundations for the games and media to follow. Wandering the Marches is the Sabray clan of Dalish elves, the clan today's subject calls home. So today, we're talking about the powerful mage, Meryl. This city is amazing. Do you know I saw someone get mugged? Right outside. It was fascinating. Everything happens here all at once. 
How does anyone keep it all straight? Long before the events of Dragon Age 2, Meryl was born into the Ilarion clan, which wandered in the hills of Navarra, the country immediately to the south of the Tevinter Imperium, and to the east of the Free Marches. She was the third child of the clan born with the gift of magic, so she was given to the Sabre clan to be first to Keeper Merthari, at only four years old. Magic is not viewed with mistrust and fear among the Dalish as it is amongst the humans and city elves, but it is still a rare gift, so it is a common practice to move children amongst the clans when they show magical talent. We actually first meet Meryl in Dragon Age Origins if you played as a Dalish elf. She's your temporary party member when you search for Tamlin in the old elven ruins. As any of you who also played as a Dalish elf in Origins knows, Tamlin doesn't make it. But Meryl takes a piece of the tainted Illuvian in the cave, which will become important later. When the blight began in Ferelden, the Sebre clan booked passage on the Pride of Emeranthine as refugees and traveled to the Free Marches. Meryl studied the Shard of the Illuvian, studied the surviving lore of the Illuvian, and wanted to cleanse it of the taint. She asked Keeper Marthari for assistance, but she refused. Meryl then stubbornly and naively attempts to construct an Illuvian from the Shard, but she is unsuccessful in her attempts at activating it. Soon, the Sabre clan settles at Sundermount, just outside of Kirkwall, and Meryl begins to hear a voice in her dreams. Keeper Merthari does too. And when a mage starts to hear voices, that's never a good sign. It's not long after this that Hawk arrives in Kirkwall. Before we get too far there, I think it's time to back up and get into the timeline of Dragon Age as a whole, because it's essential to understand the events of Dragon Age 2 as they stretch over the span of like seven years. It's called Dragon Age because the Ninth Age is named Dragon, and Dragon Age Origin starts in the 30th year of the Dragon Age. The first game, Dragon Age Origins, takes place over the course of about a year from 930 Dragon to 931 Dragon. This is also when Dragon Age 2 starts. Hawk and their sibling flee Lothering in Ferelden as it is destroyed by the Darkspawn and are saved by Flemeth in her dragon form. Is it fate or chance? I can never decide. Of course, there's always a catch. In return for her help getting them through the darkspawn-riddled wilds, Flemeth requests Hawk to take a magical amulet with them on their journey to Kirkwall, and asks that they deliver it to Keeper Merthari. Flemeth mentions that she has an appointment to keep, which keen Dragon Age fans will recognize as Flemeth fighting the Warden, your player character in Dragon Age Origins, as part of Morrigan's personal quest. You want to learn more about that? Go back and check out our episode on Morrigan. <laughs> Flemeth is defeated here, and the amulet is key to her continued existence. Flemeth planned ahead. Enter Meryl, stage left. I've never met a human before. Dealish mothers frighten their children with stories about you, you know. 
Not you, personally, of course. I'm sure they don't have any tales about you. Or not scary ones, at least. Not that you're not notable enough to have a story. I'll just shut up now. I love Meryl. She's so adorable. So, Hawk places the amulet on the altar in Sundermount. Meryl performs a funerary rite, and Flemeth, a.k.a. Ashabelinar, a.k.a. a piece of Bethal, is reborn. Basically, the amulet is a horcrux. So Meryl's establishing character moment is her reviving an ancient elven goddess, and that couldn't be more right for Meryl. We don't really see Meryl much more in Act 1 of Dragon Age 2, but we know from a short story written by the writer who wrote Meryl, Mary Kirby, that this is when the Keeper and Meryl start to hear a voice. Upon investigation, the voice is found to belong to a demon named Audacity, trapped within a statue inside a cave in Sundermount. I'm going to read a quote from the short story because I think it gives great insight to Meryl's motivations for her upcoming controversial choice. A demon. The keeper spits the word as if it tastes foul. She nods at me. Bound to the statue. It will not threaten the camp. She turns to leave, satisfied. Wait. I've been trapped here for time beyond counting. I bore witness to the fall of your kingdom. Help me, keeper of the Dalish, and I'll give you knowledge of all I have seen. For a moment I see visions of the world as it once was. An empire that spanned all Thetis, glittering cities of the Elven. All this could be yours. Come, Dalen, the keeper beckons. The vision fades. I turn and follow her out into the light. So good. Mm -hmm. Meryl's main goal in her pursuit of knowledge is the rediscovery and preservation of elven ingenuity and history. This is why she has held on to the shard from the tainted alluvion since the clan was in Ferelden, and she is almost desperate to rebuild and activate the mirror. Audacity knows her knowledge on how to do so, but it involves blood magic. The blood amplifies her magic beyond what normal lyrium would offer, and she is able to cleanse the shard of the taint. However, blood magic is even more forbidden and feared than normal magic use. But Meryl views this as an acceptable trade-off. Almost no one else in universe shares her liberal view on magic use, though. Not even her clan can forgive this. So, by the time Hawk arrives at the Dalish camp, Meryl is ready to venture forth into the wide world and continue her quest for knowledge. Meryl is the black sheep wherever she is and wherever she goes. Despite being a Dalish elf, she's not content to follow tradition and be cautious in order to preserve the little they have left. She'd rather be bold and try to build on what once was. Meryl is also the only elf in Dragon Age 2 to have a Welsh accent. Every other elf has an Irish accent, and we already know how accents can be used as a shorthand to communicate a lot about a character. Notably, the only other elf in Dragon Age to have a Welsh accent is Solus, and Solus is also the only other mage we know who is this compassionate towards spirits. Solus tells us in Dragon Age Inquisition that spirits reflect your expectations back at you. If you expect to see a demon, it will be a demon. Oh, and the fact that she calls upon Fen'Harel while doing her magic? But 
Meryl's fatal flaw is certainly that she doesn't stop to consider the potential consequences of her actions on those around her. She seems to have awareness of potential danger to herself. She is arrogant enough to believe earnestly that she has controlled all the variables and nothing bad will happen. That she is careful enough, smart enough, to prevent anything bad from happening. That, of course, is not true. And unfortunately for Meryl, it is a lesson she will learn to varying degrees of severity in Dragon Age 2, depending on player choices. At the end of Act 1, Meryl has moved to Kirkwall's alienage and is at odds with Fenris and Anders. Unsurprisingly for Fenris, as he distrusts all mages, and Anders is simply just against blood magic. Act 2 of Dragon Age 2 takes place three years after Hawk ventured into the Deep Roads. And the next time we see Meryl, she's asking Hawk to help her request a special dagger from Keeper Marathari to hopefully complete the Illuvian she has built. The Keeper is obviously hesitant. Marathari knows Meryl's stubbornness well, and she is worried Meryl will rush forward and cause unintentional harm. Foreshadowing. Anyway... There's different ways to play this, but for the sake of the romance and Meryl's growth, we're going to go with the option of getting the special dagger. Thank you, Bioware, for crafting such detailed choose-your-own-adventure stories. There are a dozen ways to handle even basic side story questlines, and I love it. Dragon Age 2 in particular is unique that you can have a friendly romance or a rivalry romance with each of the romance options. And either male or female hawk can romance any of the options. So this is a player sexual game. In order to romance Meryl, friendly, or rival, you must complete this quest. Just FYI, we'll usually be talking about the friendly romance storyline for our episode, but the rival is kind of fun too. Marthari asks that Hawk and friends go kill a big giant crabby spider monster thingy because it's been killing the Dalish hunters. When you reach the creepy little thing's lair, you run into Paul, spelled P-O-L, so that way it's a little bit more elfy, but pronounced Paul. And he is another Dalish hunter who is so scared of Meryl that he literally runs straight into the spider's mouth. So suffice to say, he don't make it. Mm -hmm. You actually meet Paul in Dragon Age Origins, too. He's like a city elf that joined the Dalish. And I guess uh, the end. He died here. (laughs) After you defeat the Varteral and go back to the Dalish camp, Meryl is hurt at Paul's reaction to her and his resulting death. And she asks Marathari why he was so afraid of her. The Keeper apparently told everyone that she'd give them the Darkspawn taint if they got too close to her. And Marathari tries to peer pressure Meryl into abandoning her Alluvian stuff and come back to the clan. This sounds like a bit from Mean Girls, honestly, like she's spreading rumors about Meryl being tainted. Well, Meryl doesn't want to be a part of the plastics anymore, so she stays with Hawk. The Keeper doesn't honor her side of the bargain also, even though Meryl did. The Keeper was supposed to give the dagger straight to Meryl, but instead she gives it to Hawk. Hawk, I could never have faced the Keeper myself. 
I never imagined a human would help me restore Dalish history. No one ever understood. Not the Keeper, not my clan. Just you. I'm sensitive, handsome and supportive. What else could you possibly want? Nothing. Oh, not that I'm saying that I want you. I'll just stop talking now. You're the first real friend I've ever had. Maserana's Lethaline. This is the end of Meryl's personal quest, and the next stop in Sexy Town. But before we get to the juicy bits, let's take a quick mid-break to talk about the fun facts. Thank our patrons, hear from our sponsors, and other such fun housekeeping things. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mid-break dance. Meryl's Valisolin is unique in Dragon Age 2 though it is similar to the ones that she has in Origins. It honors Mithal. And those are the facial tattoos, in case you were wondering. Yeah, it's kind of cool because when she um, is there, when Flemeth is brought back, she's the only one who shows any kind of respect because she knows exactly who she is. So I just think that's an interesting little tidbit that her Valseline's also Mithal-related. And also... Meryl's Illuvian can be seen in the distance whilst traveling the crossroads with Morrigan in Dragon Age Inquisition, which is super cool. It's off, like it's not glowing like the other ones are, but it's there, meaning it's it could be activated, so it's working well enough. Just gotta give Meryl credit for that. I mean, no one alive knows how to fix that, and she figured it out. Yeah, it's just one smart little cookie. And let's touch on the player sexual aspect for just a second. Dragon Age 2 is flexible? It's a reach to me that in your travels you meet four bisexual people who are interested in you, are skilled fighters, and are single. But each one of them has a line or two about their previous same-sex relationships. I won't angry tangent on how there are no coming-out-as-straight conversations, therefore assuming that the default normal is a hetero option, but I like the fact that it is a little deeper than player sexual. It's like you found a bunch of queer adventurers who talk about their previous relationships. So, kudos. Yeah, the only, like, negative bit I'll say about that is something Ben brought up in our interview with him, remember? With Anders, like if you're male hawk, he'll talk about his lover. But if you're female hawk, he just calls him his friend. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of bi erasure there, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah. I guess that's why we all prefer defined sexualities. Yeah. Agreed. Now, <laughs> Meiji Moose. Meiji, Meiji, Meiji. Left a five star review on iTunes. <sighs> Bunch of clam jammers. Five stars. One of the hosts just said she'd live in the world of cyberpunk if she could. 
You believe that? And then I picture him doing his little mind explodey hand <laughs> motion. Yeah. My best friend Eileen pointed out that because she lives in Los Angeles, she's like, I kind of already live in Night City. Like she, she was saying, I was walking down this one street, Sunset Boulevard, for those of you in the know, and it was nighttime and there was trash everywhere and like crazy people walking around. Well, crazy's problematic. So like people who looked visibly unwell and were loud. And she was like, why do I feel so at home here? Oh, it's because I spent so long playing cyberpunk. <laughs> Just feels like a natural environment for me. Yep, I get it. All right. Oh, fun, fun times. These two girls have a huge announcement to make. So we've talked about it a few times, but I'm a native Portlandian. And Portland has a few gaming and comic cons that happened every year. The Portland Retro Gaming Con is happening October 14th through the 16th of 2022. And we are honored and so flippin' excited to say that for the first time ever, Vervada and Genesis get to meet in real life to host a panel about video game romances. I am so excited. We are hard at work to highlight the history behind where we are today in gaming lovers. So, if you are able to travel to Portland, Oregon in mid-October, we would absolutely love to meet you. And now it is time to thank the patrons, Toasty and Apollo, Shanko and Missios, Luke and Wynn, Meiji and Bat Knight. You are all so very much appreciated. We love you. We love you. I love you. Sorry, I was distracted trying to comment. I can only do one thing at a time. Anyway, okay, let's get back into Meryl. So, after getting the dagger, the special stabby stabber, and given you've been flirting with Meryl when you have the opportunity to, you can return to your house, and a touching scene with Meryl will happen. The following audio is for the friendly romance, and remember we can also have the rival romance, and that audio is different. Some people actually like the rival romance audio better. Um, but it's just personal choice, I suppose. It's just easier to focus on the friendly romance because I like to be friends with my companions and lovers. Plus, I just want Meryl to have a friend. I suppose if I hadn't left my people, I never would have met you. If you were Danish, my people would have a kingdom by now. And half of Thedas would be attacking us. So maybe things worked out for the best. Does it bother you that I'm human? No, I'm not saying I change you for... I'm making things worse, aren't I? I just... I'm one of the Elven. I'm supposed to preserve who we are, and if I... There are reasons that it's bad to... Is it warm in here? Elgonon. I'll stop talking now. I guess I'll postpone making myself more... Elfie. Oh, I don't know. You'd look handsome with pointy ears. Not that you don't now. The Keeper, my whole clan will object if we... Not that they can possibly hate me anymore, I suppose. I'll apologize to them later. 
I'll even pretend to be sorry. Meryl, it's all right. It's so touching. It's adorable and sweet, yet also a little naughty. Meryl is the one taking Hawk to bed, and I think that's important for her. Hawk is so powerful, such a big, overwhelming personality, and Meryl struggles to assert herself. If it felt like Hawk was pushing or leading the timid elf, it could have felt icky. But it doesn't, so yay! The scene is a hot and heavy makeout sesh. That fades to black too early for my liking. It's while they are both still fully clothed, but climbing into Hawk's big bed. In the cuddle after. Yes, I love that, by the way. They show the cuddling after. Meryl asks Hawk what their night together meant. I think the best Hawk response was, we might have to give it a few more times to really understand the meaning. Cracked me up, because I'm a perv, and that is totally something I would have said. Overall, I think these two can have a healthy and fun sex life together. Oh, also, major note. We still have more romance to cover. The sex isn't right before the last mission. We get more after this, and that makes me happy. Yeah, this is like only halfway through the game, (laughs) y'all. It's awesome. After this scene, Hawk will invite Meryl to live with them in their house in Hightown. Fancy, fancy. Meryl never fully moves in, though still retaining her house in the alienage and her work on the Alluvian. Some may view this as commitment issues with Meryl, but honestly, people have commitment issues with Meryl. I totally understand her hesitation at not leaving herself a plan B, somewhere else to stay, in case things go south with you. She's had to leave every home she has ever known, and most recently because everyone turned on her, I'd keep my house too. I think Meryl's often infantilized and discredited due to her Buffy speak and nervous propensity to apologize profusely. But Meryl is an extremely confident and competent person. I mean, she doesn't have a single healing spell, I'll have you know, choosing to focus on blood magic and what is similar to rift magic. So just another point in the Meryl and Solus are very similar pile. Meryl stays true to her purpose, and honestly, to the purpose that Capers and the Dalish overall are supposed to follow, discovering and preserving the ancient elven knowledge to help the people. Marathari didn't respect Meryl in, like, any way. In fact, she actively turned the clan against her, and yet Meryl has nothing but respect for both her and the Dalish at large. Hawk might just be the only person to value Meryl the way she should be valued, And that is a potent thing. It's not, you complete me. It's not, you fixed me. It's, you see me. That is valuable. And unlike almost any other game we've talked about so far, we get to see the relationships in Dragon Age 2 span years, not just end after the sex scene. And that wraps up Act 2. 
three years later in Act 3, the Kunari invasion of Kirkwall is a memory, and Hawk is the champion of Kirkwall. Meryl has basically become a shut-in, obsessed with reconstructing her Alluvion. Whether or not you gave Meryl the dagger in Act 2, she will still be struggling with activating it. What do mages do when they need some magical help? Consult the demon! Oh wait, that's really only the mages we want to hang out with. So Meryl plans to reconsult Audacity and asks Hawk to accompany her in case she gets possessed and needs to be murdered. Yikes. Anyway, when you arrive back in Sundermount, you find out that Marathari released Audacity from its prison and contained the demon within herself to apparently protect Meryl. She claims that the demon was intending to use Meryl's Alluvion as a way out of its prison, and Meryl would have been its first victim. But she never shows us the receipts. No, she don't. I mean, yeah, I guess we have to just trust her. But here's the thing. At this point, the Sabre clan has been hanging around Sundermount for years. That's not normal for a Dalish clan. They are usually quite nomadic. Keeper Marathari has also been aware of audacity in the nearby cave this whole time. So if it truly was a danger to her clan, why did she not move them away? She ostracized Meryl because she disapproved of her Illuvian research, demon friendship, and blood magic. But this brings me to an interesting fact about the word audacity. It has two meanings, two connotations, one positive and one negative. It could mean a willingness to take bold risks, or it could mean rude, impudent, or disrespectful behavior. Meryl certainly embodies the former. And Marathari? Well, way back when, when she and Meryl first discerned the owner of the voice they heard in their sleep, she immediately named it Demon and was content to let it rot in its prison. But Meryl? She wanted to listen and she wanted to learn. And that's precisely what she did for years. She wasn't the one to release the demon. Marathari was. And the two of them were both right and wrong about the true nature of the entity in the cave. That's the thing. There is no black and white. There is no right and wrong. There's only gray. And I don't know what to do with gray. Spirits and demons are one and the same. And like V said earlier... They reflect your perception back at you. Audacity is a pride demon. And that is exactly the emotion that causes so much trouble for both Meryl and Marathari. In the end, Marathari becomes an abomination. And Hawk and company are forced to kill her. And the rest of the clan will confront you as you leave the cave. If Hawk reveals that the Keeper had become an abomination, or warns the clan to back off... They will attack, and you will be forced to kill them all to survive. The only way to save the clan is to blame Meryl for Marathari's actions. Which, that just sucks, because it's like you don't want to shit all over poor Meryl any more than she's already been shat on. But also, 
It's so much worse for her if everyone she knows dies versus just Keeper Marathari. It's just a lose-lose situation. Meryl's obviously crushed over the death of what is essentially a mother figure in her life, as well as someone she respects for their wisdom and knowledge. I mean, I don't know. I didn't see much wisdom from her, but Meryl knows her better. If Meryl is a rival, she'll destroy the Illuvian. But if she's your friend, the Illuvian will remain intact, and she will mourn the fact that the Keeper did not listen to her despite her great efforts at restoring an impressive and important piece of the people's history. Again, I think it's much more natural to have the friendly path with Meryl than the rivalry. Destroying the Illuvian is destroying her core belief that history is sacred and knowledge of it is worth death. Her own death, mind you. Meryl would never put someone else in danger. And honestly, every step she has taken has been to distance herself from those she cares about to keep them out of the crossfire. Meryl doesn't consider that the ones who care for her wouldn't allow her to go at anything alone. And that's the whole arc of Meryl in Dragon Age 2. She loses everything for the sake of ancient knowledge. Not because she actively hurt her clan, but because she naively thought she could protect everyone from the consequences of her actions messing with blood magic. That is her fatal flaw. No one is perfectly insulated in the decisions we make. We all feel the effects and choices and actions others have taken every day. Just like any game, but especially a Bioware game. The stakes are high, and the world is about to end. Kirkwall also can't catch a break. First, it's an invasion of Kunari. And then, it's the Templars coming in and turning it into a police state. And then, Anders, the resident cat-loving hottie, is not about to let that slide. The leader of the local circle of magi aren't either. And eventually, your sibling is kidnapped. And Anders blows up the Chantry. Yeah, that escalated quickly. There's a lot of lore in this game, especially considering a certain red lyrium idol that will apparently be very important to a certain dread wolf. If you want info on all that, check out our good friends on the Dragon Age lore cast. As far as Meryl goes... There are a few ways her story can end in Dragon Age 2. She might be by your side for the final battle. Or you might kill her. Let's go with Meryl surviving and fighting at your side. In a moment, I'll look down and see I have no pants on. <laughs> the champion of Kirkwall going to battle naked. Why can't I ever have that dream? My love. Save that thought for after we win. Meryl as a rival and Meryl as a friend, develops as a character in different directions. She will admit she was wrong to use blood magic, and blames herself for Marathari's sacrifice if she is a rival. And she also is less flustered and more serious in her conversations with Hawk. As a friend, she realizes that the Dalish are just as flawed as they claim everyone else to be, and that good intentions are not always enough to help people who do not want to be helped. She lets go of her worry over what might people might think of her and feels less alone. Whichever way you play, Meryl learns a truth about herself and about the world around her. Classic Bioware to make each choice no more right or wrong than the next, just simply a different way to play. 
At the end of the game, Varric's narration will say that a romance to Meryl will stay behind in Kirkwall to help the Alien Edge elves, and her fate at the end of Dragon Age Inquisition remains a mystery. I can assume she joins up with our boy, Fen Harrell, like many other elves, and I hope and very much expect we'll see her again in Dragon Age Dreadwolf. I would like to see if there's any narrative significance to her similarities with the Egg Daddy himself. My boy, Solus. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she has to be there, right? Unless she's dead. That would kind of ruin things. I can't imagine him killing her because just the fact that she built an No, but what if Hawk kills her? Yeah. Who? Oh, Hawk, yeah. They're going to have to choose. They're going to have to canonize something. I don't know. I need her to live. She's very valuable to him because she knows how to build an Olivian. You know, she might have the most knowledge of an, of the ancient elves out of all of the Dalish, you know, o- outside of him. Like he's not Dalish, but you know what I mean? He, she could be very useful to him and I'm sure she would want to help. Agreed. And that, lovely listeners, is where we would normally end our show. But tonight we have a special guest. I don't know what to say about this person. It's one of the biggest nerds I know. A lover of Bioware and my first dungeon master. With our matching tattoos and all, please welcome my favorite romance. My million mundane moments. Mr. Genesis. Hello. Hello. (laughs) I love that shirt on you, by the way. You guys can't see it completely, but it says, I'm not antisocial. I rolled a three on my charisma. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. What happens if you, like, routinely roll a three in charisma? Um, well, if you rolled a three in charisma, it means that that's your base stat. And so you really, really suck at personal interactions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Well, welcome to the show. Can you let our audience know your preferred name on the internet and your pronouns? Because I'm pretty sure your preferred name is not Mr. Genesis. I was going to say, I don't remember signing this paperwork, but you always say there's secret contracts I sign. Um, No, just Jason. I used to stream. I'll probably get back to it, and then it'll be under Imperial Wolf. But I got to get my setup back up and going. Well, Jason... Thank you so much for coming on the show tonight to talk to the two girls about one of your favorite romance characters. Can you give us a little bit of your origin story and how you came to love Dragon Age? Uh, it starts back to their older stuff, Knights of the Old Republic. The first and second one is where I started. I just ended up falling for, as it's not Bioware games, but uh, Neverwinter Nights, that series. And then they announced Dragon Age and... I had already known the pedigree that they had at the time and jumped in on it because it had the same CRPG things I was looking for. Did you play Origins right when it came out? Yeah, I pre-ordered it. And then you jumped on Dragon Age 2 as soon as it came out? Yes, I'm glad I didn't take the week off of work to play the game. I would have been disappointed on some things, but yes. (laughs) Tonight... We discussed a lot of things about Meryl. Did you learn anything new about her? Uh, a couple things. I don't remember, and I played the shit out of Origins. 
I don't remember knowing that those two were in there. That was one of the things I was like, oh, I don't remember ever running into them. I mean, it helps that, like, the characters look completely different in Origins, and they had different voice actors. (laughs) So, like, other than her name being Meryl, you would never know that it's her. Yeah, and I think that's probably what it was, is uh, there's a lot of repeat names every so often, so it just didn't stand out to me at the time. The fact that her her tattoo is unique, she's the only one that will have that one. It kind of sucks, actually, like how that one is. It's really pretty. She is really pretty. Is that one of the first things that like you liked about her, was her looks, or was it more of her personality? It really wasn't the looks. It was more the personality. I mean, when you're looking at like game characters and their and that stuff, uh, I can't get past some of the obvious jagginess when it comes to some of the some of the stuff. They can smooth it out as best they can, but I know what I'm looking at. They can get as photorealistic as they want, but you know, the looks really isn't there. It's about the writing for the character. That, and I think we both agree that Izzy is a little bit hotter than uh, than Meryl in the physical department. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. In both games, even as jank as the some of the graphics were in the original game, <laughs> <laughs> I was literally rewatching the Dalish Elf origin story for this episode because I was like, "What? Meryl's in there? And Keeper Marathari's in there? Master Islands in there? Because it's like the same clan that you meet in Dragon Age Two. And I just forgot. And I was just like, "This in my memory playing it, it was amazing." And I'm watching it, and obviously it looks horrible to our eyes now because it was very early 2009 doesn't feel that long ago but i guess it was i was like damn it really looked that bad i don't remember it looking like that yeah i remember going back looking at games and being wowed by the graphics i go back and look at them and like oh yeah i didn't know what i was talking about is there anything that we missed about meryl or things that you think would have brought more depth to the romance her naivety to the whole thing, though she's a strong character, the her insecurities are on display almost the entire time. Uh, she second guesses everything, aside from the rival one where she's... It felt like with the rival one, because I, I played the game twice, did both of those, and the rival one, is she was, it seems like she was just trying to prove to you that she didn't need you, where the friendly one was she wanted you around. Uh, so... Uh, that's the vibe I got from it. When I watched both YouTube videos of like the friendly romance scene and the rival romance scene, and so many people prefer the rival one, but the rival one is her just being like, don't save me. And like basically having a breakdown and then it leads into a sex scene. So for me, it felt like a completely different romance than the friendly one where she's just kind of, she knows what she wants, but but she's wrestling with her culture and what she's been told her whole life of like, can't love a human you have to preserve elven everything and like for those of you who don't know if an elf and a human have sex they give birth to a human baby there's no half elf anything so you know it is kind of something for her to consider romancing a human but it's so different between the two of them made research for this quite challenging <laughs> i was like what do i cover what do we talk about you know that's why I didn't include any of the rival romance dialogue was because I didn't like it at all. And, you know, we try to stay as very down the middle as we can. But on things like this, okay, yeah, it's like, oh, let's use the renegade 
talk in the Mass Effect episodes. But for this, it completely changes the romance and made it feel very different. And I didn't really like Meryl as much in the rivalry romance. Neither did I. I wasn't a big fan of that that particular path. Well, when I heard rival romance, I was like, they're going to like have some hate sex. Is that what it is? It's not that at all. I feel like the reason so many people liked the rival one more is everyone has this obsession with the like broken bird trope and like you're gonna save me with your love and she literally was like don't save me and then he like comes and kind of like comforts her but it feels a little bit forced in a way like i don't know it was kind of icky whereas the other one wasn't so and i liked it felt more like equals talking to each other at least the after scene was the same but and also like even though we had years it's hard to tell in-game that years have passed other than them literally just telling you. But, like, years have passed, and I just kind of felt sad. Like, we did have some scenes and some dialogue with Meryl, but I wish there was, like, another romance scene or something, you know, in Act 3. But we didn't get that. So it's still, even though we had more game after the romance and more missions with them, the romance did kind of peter out after the sex scene, as usual. I just think that most of the time in those games, they do that, and then it takes a backseat. It's never really a priority for that to be developed. It's just there for an option to do in most games. Uh, Do you remember if you picked Meryl on your first playthrough? I did. And if you were to pick up the game again today, would you choose Meryl again, or would you go with somebody else? Uh, Since I've seen both versions... Of Meryl, I would probably try... The one I didn't do was the rival Isabella. Ooh, I feel like that could be very saucy. Very, very fighty. Are you sure you want to romance me in a video game? <laughs> <laughs> well, knives are involved. I know I know for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh, I've never watched Isabella's romance, either friend or rival, so that'll be entertaining. It's pretty intense. <laughs> it's actually a pretty good romance, too, either way, from what I've seen. I've watched the romance on YouTube. I just never got through it. Like I said, when the game came out, I was excited for it. But my main issue with the game was pacing with stuff. It just didn't hit well. I feel that. When I played it, I would have to hoof it to like our Liberty Center and borrow an Xbox to play it at first before I got my own console back after boot camp. But when I was playing it, I literally didn't know that it spanned that many years until I was reading the wiki. Because I was like, it just, it wasn't obvious. Like, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know the beginning was supposed to be during the blight. Like, it just felt like someone just threw me in the middle of something. So it was kind of disorienting. Once I learned all that, it was it was better. But still, I don't know. I, I still don't know how I feel about Dragon Age 2. I need to really play it again, I guess. Because I haven't played it since it came out. It's my least favorite one. Because you've only played it the one time. I would say maybe it would be different because now that we know what we know, I guess with hindsight, you know, and you're like, you get the Red Lyrium Idol in Dragon Age 2. You get all these different little lore bits, plus just the redesign of all the races. Like the elves look way more cool and distinct from humans instead of just being humans with pointy ears. Dwarves look cool. The Kunari especially love the way that they redesigned them. 
Because I honestly just thought Sten was a giant in Dragon Age Origins. And I know they didn't have, like, the capabilities to do horns or something at that time. Which is why they added him. I'm not really sure. I, th- I heard that they couldn't do it for Origins for whatever reason. But the way they look is so cool. The art style, too. For that, Dragon Age 2 is awesome. Like, they really changed the way Dragon Age is. Like, they made it what it is now. A lot of the things that you mentioned are, are some of the things that kind of shocked me when I was playing it. Like, I was like, okay, is this Dragon Age or is it... Because it initially didn't feel like it. And then you got into more, you know, more of the story. And you're like, okay, okay. All right, got it. I know where I'm at. It does, yeah. you know, you you have that initial shock of like a lot of things are changed, and I love how it starts with uh, with Plymouth because that immediately uh, puts you right back into the world. Gosh, and I didn't even know that was Plymouth at first too, because she got a glow up, a major, major glow up. But I feel the exact same way. At first, it was like this isn't Dragon Age. Like it's so different. Then it became awesome. That's why I feel like Inquisition married all the strengths of Origins and all the strengths of Two together for the most part, which is why it's my favorite one. It has nothing to do with Solace. No, it has everything to do. With I feel Solace. like a toxic really. It's my toxic trait is liking Solace. Ah, <laughs> uh, all right. Do you feel that we did this romance justice tonight? Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of things I wasn't aware of, even when I was. Catching up for certain things, I hadn't realized on some of it. As in the chat, people aren't even weren't even aware that the the time skips are just they don't explain them. You know, there's no like fade to black and you know X years later really that really stands out. So I'm the same where I didn't even really realize. I knew there were since I had played it enough, but in the moment. No, I just, all right, it's another week. But that, that goes to pacing and just decisions and games. But no, there are a lot of things, uh, a few things that I wasn't aware of, like them in Dragon Age 1, which still blows my mind a little bit. And somebody, as somebody who has done full playthroughs of the games multiple times and like throughout the entire series of Dragon Age, what makes you come back to Dragon Age each time? After playing the first one, I actually read the book that actually coined why it was called the Dragon Age. Uh, not just because of necessarily the name of the year, it was the king after they had gotten done with something and saw a dragon. And then he had kind of said something, now we're in the Dragon Age or something like that. It's been a long time since I read it. But uh, that is where like it kicks off. And that story is really good. The book that takes place before the origins is actually pretty good. Like I said, origins was great. Uh, inventory system sucked. <laughs> but you dealt with it. Dragon Age 2 had its own issues, but the story was still solid, and the romances were more available to people. But Inquisition just hit the home run for me. And I know who your lover of choice is in Inquisition, so we might have you back on the show again. Oh. <laughs> There's a couple of them. It's kind of difficult. <laughs> you have multiple romances in Inquisition. Oh. Who hasn't? I, I did do one playthrough with my male inquisitor with Bull. All right, I'm sorry, as a male human, the fact that the scene when they walk in, I did it solely for the fact of the way they look in there. The hours and hours of playing to get to this point, absolutely worth the hours and hours to get to this point. 
I hope you had a strategic save so you could go back and watch it again. <laughs> I always do that for the good scenes. Uh, um, and then probably. <laughs> <laughs> for those who want to know, the book you're talking about is The Stolen Throne, which I also own. It's a great book. There's some really good lore bits interwoven in there, in all of them. There's five books that I know of that I have. I have the tabletop role-playing game, too. Um, what they have released of it. And that kind of delves into certain things, but I don't know how accurate it is since it was a third, third-party company. I'm mm-hmm. sure they had some rules, but I haven't dug through mm-hmm. it. I got it because it was Dragon Age, and I like reference material for when I DM games. It's probably not in your yeah. room. I'm pretty sure I have it in here. You probably have stolen it. <laughs> so I also have the Dragon Age comics. Well, most of them or graphic novels or whatever we're calling them now. I still haven't read the one that She Cup keeps telling me to read <laughs> with Solace in it. I don't know what is wrong with me. I haven't got that one yet. No, it's all good. I mean, external media is key to, you know, the lore of the series. And so it's important to talk about and make sure that we shout out and, you know, maybe I'll start reading some of the external stuff for the rest of the characters that we have to talk about, because we've got a couple more Dragon Age episodes to come. But before we wrap up the show for tonight, Jace, is there anything that you want to shout out or plug? Subscribe or support these girls, and that's all that I would want. Aww. <laughs> And I'll be there when you at the con because I'm gonna be there. Yeah. So I'll get to meet B too. Yay! <laughs> that was the sweetest thing ever, and I love you. Right. <laughs> if you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or give us a rating on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can now find me in our Cyberpunk Lorecast channel with my co-host Toasty. And of course, in our Two Girls One Ship channel on the Robots Radio Discord. And come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash two girls one ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and on our own Two Girls One Ship Discord server where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Wednesdays and Fridays at 10.30pm Eastern Time, 7.30pm Pacific Time, or watch the YouTube video a few days after the stream. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays, because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening, and remember, beauty's in the eye of the controller. Have you ever wanted to deep dive into the lore and stories behind all your favorite Marvel movies? Then do we have the show for you. I'm Captain Shenko. And I'm Psych88. Join us as we dissect the media megalith that is the MCU. We'll talk about the origin stories, the fights, and everything in between. The MCU Lorecast releases on all major podcasting platforms on Mondays as part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club and can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 